I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna coming to you on this Sunday evening after a weekend of no English football. None whatsoever. The games were postponed uh, out of respect for, uh, of course, Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away at the back end of last week. It's been a really strange weekend, hasn't it? When you gear yourself up ready to go into a weekend full of football. And as I mentioned to you guys a couple of days ago, I had loads of work on this week. Um, and I'd sort of got into that headspace of, you know, I've got a lot on, got to get my head down, focus. And when you don't have time to kind of process the fact that your plans have changed, it's quite difficult to know what to do with yourself. Like you couldn't really, um, you know, you couldn't really plan ahead. You couldn't arrange something with the family, for example, or a day out or whatever, unless you did something really, really last minute. But you know what? In a way, in a weird way, although I'm disappointed that the football didn't go ahead and I'll talk about the knock on effect of that a little bit later on, because I do think there will be one. Um you know, it, it's kind of done me a little bit of good. Now, if you remember when we spoke, uh, particularly the members were, well, only the members will know this, when we spoke in the Discord server a little bit earlier this week, I said to you guys that I was literally exhausted, knackered, absolutely shattered. And when I thought about it over this last couple of days, it's because I haven't taken any sort of break. I worked all through last season um, really, really hard. Um, days, nights, weekends, got to the summer, and thought I'd try and take my foot off the gas a little bit and wasn't really able to do so. Life of a freelancer, that's what happens. Um, and then we come into this season and it was like, well, we're here now. The season's starting. We're right in the thick of it. And I can't uh, take my foot off the gas now either. And I, I started to feel a little bit of burnout. It might sound a bit stupid or a bit crazy, given that we're only, what, six games into the Premier League season. But I did start to feel a little bit of burnout. And so, in a weird way, although I'm not happy with the news, although I'm not happy with the fact that I was obviously out of work this weekend, I'm not happy with the fact that plans changed at the last minute. And actually, personally, as I said to you guys on the last show, I think it would have been better for the games to go ahead so that people could pay their respects that way. Um, in a weird, strange little way, it's worked out quite well for me because it's given me a couple of days just to take my foot off the gas and not be so full on and not be going at 100 miles per hour and be able to kind of just slow down and uh, and sort of recuperate a little bit. So, yeah, look, every cloud and all that has a silver lining for me. The silver lining was getting that short little break and that short bit of rest uh, going into a new week. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with the Europa League games at this moment in time. As far as I'm aware, they're going ahead, uh, but there have been reports suggesting that Thursday's game against PSV Eindhoven at Emirates Stadium could be in doubt because of policing issues. So uh, we're going to have to keep a close eye on that. But I just think, look, whatever you're going to do as the authorities here, whatever decision it is you're going to take, just take it with enough time. Take it with enough time for those people that have made plans and are coming from far and wide to be able to try at least and adjust their plans, try at least to make the best out of a shit situation because... I read some really heartbreaking stories over the weekend of Arsenal fans who had come from all over the world. I, I told you guys, I knew of someone, a family friend who had come from Australia to go and watch Liverpool. And 
couldn't get a refund on the hotel, couldn't get a refund on the train from London to Liverpool, and so went up there, um, but for no game, uh, and just went on a stadium tour, or was planning to go on the stadium tour, if that was still allowed to happen. So I just think there's a responsibility for those making these decisions to make them with enough time, at least for people to not be caught off guard at the last minute. Now, I know the first weekend, you know, or the weekend that we've just, we've just lost the Queen's passing was announced on Thursday evening. There wasn't an awful lot of time to get things in order and in check, but maybe a better solution would have been to say, okay, we're going to play this weekend's games because people have planned to go to them. People have made travel arrangements and we'll postpone next weekend's game so that at least there's a week for people to kind of hear of that postponement and hopefully, if they can, adjust their plans accordingly. That would have probably made more sense. But instead, the games had been cancelled. Now we go into a new week and we don't know if the European games in London are going to go ahead. We don't know if the Premier League action next week is going to take... Um, is going to is going to take a hit because of the funeral being on Monday and that now being a bank holiday. We just don't know. It's all up in the air. Now, these are things that are unprecedented. And so there isn't always going to be a blueprint for everything. And I understand that in a lot of these instances, people, authorities are making this stuff up as they go. But it just feels all a little bit weird to me. Don't know about you guys, but I've tried to get into other things this weekend. I've tried to watch other things. I've tried to... Um, you know, I tried to watch the Formula One earlier. Can't get into it. I've tried so many times with Formula One. It just isn't for me. Um, I find it boring. I'm not going to lie. I know a lot of people are going to get offended by that or don't like that or going to hit me for it in the comments, but I just don't like it. I find it boring. Um, watched a bit of the cricket yesterday. That was okay. Uh, watched a bit of Bundesliga action yesterday. Watched Bayern Munich. Uh, watched a bit of Serie A a little bit later on. Watched some Serie A today as well. And we'll probably be watching some a little bit later on because, of course, Juventus take on Salah and Itana. And that starts in about a couple of hours time at the time of recording. So I'll probably sit and watch that. Um, but it's not been the same because, as I say, I geared up for this really busy weekend. I was due to be at Stevenage in League Two on Saturday to watch Stevenage against Sutton United for BBC London. And I was supposed to be at the Emirates uh, today for BBC London to cover the Arsenal game. And I was really looking forward to that because when they give me an Arsenal game, it's like a massive honour. Like, I'm really chuffed to get those. And um, and so to lose one, it's, yeah, it's a little bit disappointing. But, um, yeah, here's what it is. Uh, let's go over to the live chat. As I said to you guys uh, when sort of posting about this show, this is very much just going to be an off-the-cuff show. I don't have an agenda in front of me. I don't have anything like that. I'm going to base it solely on you guys' questions. A few of them have been sent to me in advance, which we'll kick the show off with. And then uh, we'll jump into the chat box and take uh, whatever it is that you guys uh, want uh, answered and try and make something of it. Uh, let's say a big hello to Orange, who was the first one in the chat box. Don Juan says, I need some Arsenal content. Bad. Let's do this, Harry. Big hello to Afsar, uh, to Steve, to Ayush, to Martin, to Chris, to CHHS fans, to Vernon, to Timothy, uh, to RD Holyfield, uh, to Mohammed, to Ricochet, to everyone basically in the live chat. Big hello as well uh, to the Fort Lauderdale Guna Craig, who says, Greetings, Harry, my friend. Laying on the beach in Miami. Fancy swapping places. I wouldn't mind a bit of that. Uh, thank you so much, mate, for your very, very kind donation uh, to the channel. Very, very much 
uh, appreciated. Okay, um, let's get on with it. Let's start with the big question. And, and the reason I call this the big question is because this is a question that I sort of had put to me by a couple of people. The minute I put out that I was going to do this type of show, I had a couple of DMs from people asking me this this very question. And I think for me, it's a really good question. And it's one that we've got to spend a bit of time on. Um, the question is basically, do Arsenal have enough squad depth at the moment in their current, you know, in their current iteration to be able to compete both in the Premier League, but also on the European stage? Now, particularly this season, this is a big problem because of the fixture pileup. And that's only going to get worse given what's happened over the last few days, uh, given what's happened with regards uh, to Queen Elizabeth and her passing and the fact that we're now a fixture in terms of the rounds behind. So this this whole situation is just going to become more intense and probably more problematic, uh, you know, for, for most of the clubs that are having to navigate their way through both domestic and European football, which we are certainly one. So what I want to do is I want to kind of try and break this down a little bit because people talk about numbers a lot. And in terms of the squad, yeah, the numbers are a little bit light. So I kind of get why people are concerned, why people are worried by that. But the first thing I'll say is that Mikel Arteta doesn't want a big squad. Okay, there have been a number of high profile managers in recent years who have made a point of trying to keep the squad as small and as united as possible. And you could argue one of Arsenal's big problems in the past was, of course, the fact that their squad was so overbloated, overbloated with players who were either disengaged, overpaid, not the right ones for what they were being asked to do. It just be, And it becomes a bit of a mess, doesn't it? And um, I think Mikel Arteta feels that if he's got a smaller group, it becomes easier to manage that group. It becomes easier to keep everybody engaged. And and hopefully that breeds greater success. A few of you are asking for a poll. So let's let's quickly put this in the chat. Do Arsenal have enough depth to compete in the PL and Europa League? Now, you've got to bear in mind as well that we're going to be in the domestic cup competitions too. OK, so, you know, the, the, the squad depth question is a is a real wider question and it is in the chat now. So do vote and I'll go back to that a little bit later on. But I thought the best way to kind of break this down was to try and demonstrate um, on paper, I guess, what the squad looks like right now and why, although the numbers don't look great, Mikel Arteta will probably feel that he does have sufficient cover in most positions on the pitch. So here we go. Let's break this down. So this will be Arsenal's best 11 based on what Mikel Arteta has picked so far this season. OK, Ramsdale in goal. White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko across the back line. Partey in that deep lying midfield position with Xhaka and Odegaard ahead of him. Martinelli from the left, Saka from the right and Gabriel Jesus through the middle. That is the team that Mikel Arteta goes with. But do we have enough cover in the event like we do so now where we've got a few injuries? So let's break it down position by position, right? When it comes to Ra the goalkeeper, it's Ramsdale and you've got Turner. OK, that's a second choice goalkeeper there. That's two goalkeepers. One will play in the Europa League, probably in the group stages, at least one will play. Um, one will play uh, 
you know, in the Premier League primarily. Um, Sooty FM has put in a brilliant comment there, but I'm not going to bring it up on the screen because it's a bit of a spoiler as to what I'm going to go on and say um, and, and what my point was kind of going to be around this and why I'm maybe not as concerned as others. So we move to right back, OK? And Ben White's been playing there so far. He's done a great job. You can throw Tommy Asu in there, OK? So at right back, you've got White, you've got Tommy Asu. Let's say for Saliba, the cover currently is Rob Holding. Now, although you would say that we don't have another senior centre-back in the ranks, you could argue that Tommy Asu, who played most of his career prior to joining Arsenal as a centre-back, could cover in that position too. So could, of course, Ben White. So all of a sudden, you've got options in the middle of the defence. And if you move over to the left, you've got Zinchenko and, of course, fan favourite Kieran Tierney. OK, so, you know, we don't even have to put Tomiyasu in at centre-back. We can use that as a last resort. But Tomiyasu could play at centre-back if you were desperate. So could Kieran Tierney if you were desperate. So we've got at least two players that can cover in each of those defensive positions. And then you move into the midfield. Although he's injured at the moment, Mikel Arteta would say that Mohamed Elneny could play there, as can Sambi Lokonga, who's playing there currently. OK, so do you see where I'm going with this? What Mikel Arteta has done is he's gone out and he's made sure that he's identified and brought in players that can play in a multitude of positions, which gives us a lot more depth than maybe the numbers suggest. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that, for example, we're talking about Ben White, OK? We're talking about Ben White being able to cover either of the two centre-half positions or at right-back. You lose Ben White, you potentially lose someone who can cover you in a number of positions. Look, people are even saying in the chat, I've even forgot him. I've even forgot him. But we've got Cedric there as well, OK? So you could say, fine, just make Tommy Asu centre-back cover. You've got Cedric there as well. There is, there, are, there is enough people who can play in a multitude of positions for this not to be as big an issue as I believe some people are making it out. But you do need a bit of luck with injuries as well. You move into Martin Odegaard's position. Fabio Vieira has been brought in and, of course, played in a very similar role uh, just the other night away in Zurich or against Zurich in St. Gallen. You move to the left-hand side, you know, Xhaka, it, of course, plays there, but you could put Lokonga there if you wanted to, if Partey was fit and there, or Elneny was fit. You could put Emil Smith-Rowe in there if you really wanted to. Move out to the left wing, you've got Martinelli. You could play ESR out there if he's fit and available. You move to the right, you could play Marquinhos, just as he did the other night. Fabio Vieira could also play in either of those two positions. And as for Gabriel Jesus, well, of course, we all know that his cover currently is Eddie Enketiah. So you look at it that way and there are players who can play in a number of different positions. As Sooty FM rightly points out in the chat, you could even play Zinchenko in defensive midfield. You could play White in defensive midfield. You could play Eddie Nketiah, as Amira points out, on one of the flanks. We've got Reese Nelson to come back from injury as well. There are options in this team and Mikel Arteta's ideology is very much... I would prefer to have a smaller, versatile group who can cover a number of positions, who can, um, you know, who can backfill one another, who can do a number of roles comfortably 
then have an overbloated squad of people just because I want to have a third option in certain positions in the event of injuries. But if that player's disenfranchised, disengaged, what good do they actually bring to the team and to the group? And we saw last season, particularly with the absence of European football, that if somebody's been out in the cold for months, it's not easy for them to just come into the team having felt disengaged, as I say, having felt disconnected, and then be relied upon to do a good and solid job. I haven't done this in detail, okay? I haven't sat down and broken this down. I haven't sat down and worked this out. As I said to you guys right at the top of the show, this podcast is very much off the cuff, okay? But all I wanted to do was do this kind of briefly, this exercise, to demonstrate to you guys that although numbers-wise it can feel a little bit short, the reason Mikel Arteta and Edu were probably comfortable with it and didn't go that extra mile right at the back end of the window to get further enforcements in is because they look at it like this. They look at players that can play in a multitude of positions and feel as though that will see them through for now. We are still building, okay? We are still building. And if you bring in top, top quality, you have to sacrifice in terms of numbers because that's how it works. That's how the money works. You're not also, you know, with Arsenal not being in the Champions League, it's not always easy to attract the best players. We've gone out and attracted a couple of really top players this summer in Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. But that was based on the fact that their role is going to be a key role. And if you're saying to them that they're not going to play much, if you're saying to them that they're coming in to be bit part players, then you end up um, finding it difficult to convince them that this is the place for them. So, you know, there's that trade-off, right? Do you want quality over quantity? We've done the quantity route before and it went to shit and it was really bad and it was really poor. And ultimately, because we went with quantity in the past, because we paid players too much money in the past, because we locked ourselves as a football club into contracts that made no sense for the football club, we ended up getting into a situation where we'd fallen further than we had in the previous decade and then got to a point where we had to make a managerial change and had to rip it all up and start again. So I realise I've missed players in this. I realise that there are players who I've only credited with maybe two positions who could probably play in three or four. But the point is that the versatility thing is why the club and Edu feel as though they can get away with having less numbers. I'm not even sure that I agree with that before people say, oh, you always defend what they do. I'm not even sure. Uh, that it's the right approach. But that is what they would tell you. That is what you would get if you were to sit in a room, I'm sure, with Mikel Arteta and Edu and raise this particular issue. Um, and, and and also this other, the, the final point on this, which I kind of want to make before we move on, because I realise we've got other things to cover as well. But the, the point I really want to kind of home in on on this is that it doesn't matter how much depth you've got. It doesn't matter how many players you've got in your squad. It doesn't matter if you've got 28 players, if you've got 21 players, right? Ultimately, any top quality side has players that are indispensable to their team, i.e. when they're not there, you feel it, you see it, okay? And there are players in that Arsenal side that you can say that about. Thomas Partey is one of them because he's an outstanding player. Gabriel Jesus is another one because he's an outstanding player. Liverpool completely went off the wagon a little while ago, didn't they? When they lost Virgil van Dijk at centre-back and then started to lose some of the other guys around him as well. It don't matter how many players you bring in, how many squad players, uh, fillers you've got. 
Somebody like today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Virgil van Dijk, maybe not now, but at least then, was irreplaceable. And the top players are that it's not easy to have equal cover for every single position. So if you're unlucky with injuries, you're unlucky. And, and if you're missing those players, it's unlucky. And, you know, in the case of some like Thomas Partey, where the injuries happen so often and maybe we're sitting there questioning whether the club needed to see this coming, that's different. But generally speaking, every team has players that if they're missing, the difference is noticeable. And you wouldn't necessarily look at some of those clubs and say they have a lack of depth. So it's about recognising that, yes, we could do with more numbers, but there are some players that you just can't find deputies for. There are some players who are so important, so key, that you can't just find a, a 2.0 version and store them on your substitutes bench until duty calls. It's just the way it goes. Um, let's take this one from Gunner Down Under. Thank you so, so much, mate, for your very kind donation. He says, I don't believe depth was our problem. It was the quality of that depth. Last season, some of the players on our bench this year were our starters. We need pressure for each position. Look at the hunger of Eddie now. Yeah, um, great point. Great point. Let's take a few more points just around this subject, and then we're going to move on. Um, let me see what else you guys are saying. Um, Tom Sabol says... Um, Injuries are mounting from the usual suspects, though, and that's my only concern. Yeah, and that that kind of feeds into what I was just saying. When, when there's certain players who it happens to all the time, you've got to start to question, as a football club, if you're doing enough to try and avoid that problem. And then those areas should be your priorities in terms of trying to find adequate, good uh, comfortable replacements. But again, you know, they don't grow on trees. Uh, Rudy says, um, why do we constantly have to make do as opposed to the ideal option? How much longer do we make do? The stadium is paid. The salaries of, uh, of the dead wood have gone. Why are we still making do? This is the point, though. In Arteta's eyes, we're not making do. In Arteta's eyes, this is the road he wants to go down. I'm sure he'd rather have a few more top quality players that he can have in the squad and in the group. But of course, you've got to work within the constraints of the football club. But I think the idea of a smaller squad is one that he's comfortable with and happy with. What I'm trying to say is I don't think Mikel Arteta wakes up in the morning and goes, shit, I need an extra two players in this group. I think he's so big on it being the right people, the right personnel, the team spirit being there, the connection, the unity, the energy uh, being transmitted, the way he always talks. I think you could read between the lines and and probably come to the conclusion that for him, it's about quality over quantity. And the way he's tried to attack that issue that we found last season is to, to move to add players who have a versatility about them, which is not always something that Arsenal have done. Um... Matt G says, Harry, we talk a lot about Ben White playing in midfield as he did it for Brighton and Leeds, but he hasn't done it in an Arsenal shirt. Should we still put him as a midfield option? I think we can take from the fact that he hasn't played there yet at Arsenal 
that it's not something that Mikel Arteta is big on. It's not his go-to. It's not something that he feels he wants to use Ben White for. Now, I don't know if that's because he doesn't think Ben White can do it or if it's because he's so keen to have what Ben White brings to the team from a central defensive standpoint. And that's the ability to progress the ball forward. And when he plays at fullback, he can tuck into that midfield area, help out whoever his job it is to play there. Um, and, and I think that's probably a part of it as well. So in my head, it's kind of 50%. I don't know what you're like in this position. You're a bit of an unknown quantity for me. But 50%, I don't want to lose what you bring to my defence because it's obviously something Arsenal and Arteta value highly. Otherwise, they wouldn't have paid £50 million for him. That's the way I look at it. Uh, Ayan says, so Harry, piggybacking on what you said, the players can play versus whether the player would have a similar effect if we miss him for a stretch. Um, now indispensable effects if we're going for the title. Sorry, let me read that again because I got a little bit confused reading that. The players can play versus whether the player would have the similar effect if we missed them for a stretch. Now indispensable effects if we're going for the title. I get what I think what you're trying to say is so the indispensable ones are going to impact how far we can go, right? Like Thomas Partey being out for a period of time is going to affect our ceiling. I think that's the point you're trying to make. That's absolutely right. Because as I keep saying, I mean, you look at look at some of the great sides over the years, right? Let's take Real Madrid, okay? Um, recent Champions League winners, superb side, superb manager, great squad of players. Lots of depth, big group. But you take Karim Benzema out of that side. You take Luka Modric out of that side. The replacements are not the same, especially in Karim Benzema's case. They don't have another Karim Benzema. And whilst they have numbers on paper, you can't always replicate what a player brings to your side. If you could, then they wouldn't be special, would they? They wouldn't be unique because ultimately you'd be able to find prototypes, copies of them elsewhere. So that's that's kind of the point I was trying to make. Um, let's take a few, uh, a few more um, of your comments and, and questions as well. And, and feel free to throw in some more questions now as well, because we are going to move on for sort of the last 15 or so minutes of the show. Uh, Sooty FM says, look at the quality of players Arteta has brought in the next window, January or summer. Should see him complete his squad and then we should be challenging for the Premier League. I hope so, man. I hope so. Uh, just going back to that question around, um, around uh, whether or not uh, we've got enough depth to compete on both fronts. 119 of you have voted so far in this poll and only six, uh, only 40%, I beg your pardon, think we do. Uh, 60% of you say we don't. I feel like we're just a little bit short as well. So I'm on the 60%. I'm on the no just about. But I do think it's one of those that if we're fortunate with injuries, if we can manage the workload of certain people well, then, you know, we, we could be all right. And, you know, there's a bit of luck involved in all of this as well. I mean, if you're missing a centre midfielder and you've got a stretch of three home games against relegation candidates, I know it don't always work like that in the Premier League, but you should, in theory, be able to get by. And it's much better than being without those players in the big games against the big sides who are ultimately going to finish above you. Um, GB says, don't go there, Harry. Real Madrid didn't miss Benzema at all today. Rodrigo was fired. Yeah, look, that today they were at home to Mallorca. If we were talking about a Champions League game away at Bayern Munich or against PSG, Man City, Chelsea, the way they sort of found their way to the final last season, you take Karen Benzema out of that side, they don't do it. You know, that's what I'm trying, that's the point I just made that 
there will be games where you'll get away with it, but there will be games where you won't, where you need that extra quality, and that's ultimately what makes the difference. Um, a few of you are asking about Danilo, the Brazilian, who we were linked with quite heavily over the summer. So we'll touch on this now. Scooby says, Simi, would you get Danilo? And Nevin says, Harry, do you think we'll sign Danilo in Jan? I would like Mudrick as well. Um, I don't really know um, if we're going to move for Danilo. We we knew that Arsenal, or, or we know that Arsenal have had a long-standing interest in this player. He's somebody that they've identified as a real talent. And he's somebody that Arsenal explored um, with regards to bringing him to the club sort of right at the death of the window. And look, Listen, we know that the injuries to midfield are ultimately what pushed Arsenal into the transfer window when as far as they were concerned, they'd done what they'd gone in to do and were only looking or in alert to sort of any opportunities that will come along that they felt were too good to turn up. In the end, um, we didn't get that midfielder in. We tried for Douglas Luiz on the last day. We didn't make that happen. We tried, of course, for Danilo, I think the day prior, but none of those deals were able to be completed in that period of time. But you do feel as though Danilo is someone that Arsenal might go back in for. If they were interested in Douglas Luiz, however, and, and we're led to believe they were, you know, there's an opportunity to go and test Villa's resolve again in January when his value should, in theory, given his contract situation, be even lower. Um, or we might wait till the summer and maybe pick up either a Douglas Luiz or a Tielemans on a free transfer. It all comes back to having to work within the constraints of the football club. We've spent a lot of money over the last two, three seasons, and we've brought in very, very little in terms of outgoings um, and the fees that come with those. So there is the FFP angle as well. There is the self-sustaining bit as well. Um, yes, it looks like there's been a bit of investment or at least the releasing of some additional funds from various other areas of the business of the club to help us in that sense. But, you know, the Cronkies didn't wake up and have a personality transplant. You know, they're not different owners to the ones they were before. Perhaps they're more committed now, but I think I'd imagine, I'd guess their principles around spending, etc., will be pretty similar to what they have been. So this is not a new Arsenal. It's an Arsenal that recognised that we had to do something to try and close the gap and speed up the process of change. And so we laid out some money, but that's not sustainable. You know, we've made heavy investment in players of a certain age, of a certain makeup, of a certain profile, who I'd imagine now will be seen as the future of the club. And I'd imagine when we go into January next summer, maybe the summer after that, we'd be looking at maybe one or two in terms of incomings and looking again to add quality over quantity. The big turnover of players has happened is the point I'm trying to make. So anything else feels like it's going to be very measured uh, and they're only going to do things that they really do feel and are convinced are going to make the difference straight away. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Uh, Jared says, um, Harry, would you spend 80 million on Sergei Milinkovic-Savic or 80 million on Ruben Neves? If I'm honest with you, I wouldn't spend 80 million on either of those. Um, I think they're both good players. I really like Sergei Milinkovic-Savic as a big Serie A follower. I've seen a lot of him over the years and I think he'd be a great addition. But £80 million is crazy money. And that's ultimately why he's not moved on from Lazio. He's been priced out of that move. I don't think he's particularly unhappy at Lazio and it, you've never felt that he's really been pushing for that exit, which obviously helps uh, them to kind of keep that valuation high. But £80 million is a little bit excessive. I really like Ruben Neves. I have done for a little while. He's a 
player that I'd welcome with open arms. Um, you know, and I've said this in years gone by, in summers gone by. But again, you feel like that Premier League to Premier League premium is going to bump his fee up to something that's totally unreasonable. And again, 80 million on him seems over the top for me as well. Kieran King says, if a bid of 40 million pounds came in for Smith Rowe, would you consider selling? I just worry about his continuous injuries. He's very much getting into Thomas Partey territory, isn't he? Emil Smith Rowe, an unbelievable talent, one of my favorite players at the Arsenal. I think the way he carries the ball is beautiful, he glides with it. I think he's got incredible vision. And I thought, particularly last season, uh, before he picked up injuries and before he had all those problems in the second half of the campaign, I thought he became really good and really effective in those runs he makes into the penalty area or around the edge of the penalty area. And he really increased his goal and assist outputs as a result and as a consequence of that. Maybe a controversial statement, maybe not. In terms of sheer raw talent, not the physical stuff, not pace, not strength, not any of that. In terms of pure technical talent and technical ability, I think he's got more of it than Bukayo Saka. But Bukayo Saka is so robust and stays fit and is strong and is uh, hard-wearing, if that's the right, um, durable. Durable is the word I was looking for. Um, in comparison to Emil Smith-Rowe, who seems to pick up injuries, if not on a weekly, uh, a fortnightly, monthly basis, it's not good enough. And that does worry me. And, and this is where the club at some point are going to have to make decisions on these players. Because if those offers do come in and they want to continue pushing forward, they're going to have to recuperate money to be able to then go out and buy the players that they want. Because as I say, this current level of spend versus what we're bringing in is just not sustainable. Um, I'd consider it. I'd consider every bid for every player. I think you've always got to be open-minded. And I think that some managers in the past have shown themselves to be very good at understanding when a player has maybe come to the end of the road and when it's time to, to move them on and look elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm not saying that I want to sell him, but if someone came in and said he's 40 million, looking at his injury record, looking at his current role in the side, I'd probably at the very least have a good, long, hard think about it. Uh, Rudy says, so Harry, I don't know why you keep calling me Henry. My name's not Henry, but anyway, uh, according to you, Arteta and the club are happy with the squad and should be considered a failure if we don't make top four and a trophy, right? No. Arsenal's objective this season, in my eyes, is to finish in the top four. If they achieve that, let me rephrase that. The objective is to qualify for the Champions League. If they do that via the Europa League and and we're far off of the top four, I'd ask questions. Uh, but ultimately, they would have got over the line and they'd have achieved what it was that they were setting out to achieve. But you've got to think about the circumstances there. You've always got to look at the, the sort of um, the other factors. You know, did it get to a point where top four was very unlikely? And so we started resting players in the league to focus on the Europa League and as a consequence dropped off further maybe, then then you can kind of be a little bit more lenient in that. But ultimately, he's got to get us back in the Champions League, given the investment he's had, given the backing and support he's had, not just with incomings, but with outgoings as well, and with getting people out the door that were even costing the club money to, to part ways with. I think that anything less than Champions League qualification will be seen as a failure, yes. But if you're saying that we need to finish top four and win something as well, um, I think you're jumping the gun a little bit in terms of where where this team are in comparison to maybe where you think they are or should be. Um, so I think that just getting back into the Champions League is the remit. If he doesn't do that, I'll be the first person to say the season was a failure 
and um, and we need to ask questions about it. I won't go to default. Yeah, he needs to be sacked, though. We'll have to see, again, how it all pans out, how it all works out, what the circumstances around that failure, if that is to be the case. All of those things need to be considered. And only when you do that can you come up with, I think, fair uh, conclusions. Uh, I am going to take one more question because I am really pushed for time. Um, as I say, just wanted to jump on and do some sort of content today. I've missed it. I'm hoping you guys have missed it as well. Um, and of course, we're going to be back on Monday with some more as well uh, as we continue to kind of fill the void left by a lack of football at the moment. Um, what have we got? Uh, Amira says, uh, whether you believe it or not, the club said that their summer plans didn't change just because we missed out on Champions League. Did you see this squad plus one or two other signings realistically challenging in the CL? Um the Champions League's a cup competition, ultimately, right? If you get through the group stages, who knows? Anything can happen. Um, define what competing is in the Champions League. Like, I think we'd have gotten out of the group. I think we'd have gone to the round of 16. And then from then on, it, it's purely based on the luck of the draw. I would say, I, I don't think the plan's changed. It, you know, they you, you referenced that bit there. I don't think the plan changed in terms of who they moved for, but I certainly think it maybe made it more difficult for us to either go that extra mile financially because of the the difference between Europa League revenue and Champions League TV revenue. Um, and maybe it made negotiations with certain targets a bit more difficult because we weren't in the Champions League. But I still think they tried for the players that they'd already earmarked prior to that. Maybe they didn't end up with all of them. But I still think that, you know, people like Jesus, Sinchenko, I think they were on the list uh, for a while. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's see uh, what's going to happen. I'll just quickly take this to finish off. Um, I am jumping over on Dan Potts' channel uh, in just a couple of minutes. We're going to be talking uh, Arsenal as well. Um, but Ash says, Harry, have you heard anything on the PSV or Brentford games? Not at the moment. As far as I'm aware, PSV is going ahead. There were reports, as I said to you guys earlier on, around concerns over policing, etc., etc. Um, don't really know what the deal is uh, with that um, and, and if that's going to lead to anything, any complications closer to the time, but we'll have to just wait and see. As for Brentford, I don't know, but I don't see why the Brentford game can't go ahead on the Sunday. The Monday is the bank holiday for the Queen's funeral. And if there were any games scheduled for Monday, they should be postponed. I, I genuinely believe that. You know, I think that out of respect postpone the games on the day of the funeral. I think this weekend's game should have gone ahead. And I think next weekend's games should go ahead as well. Um, it's it's really unlikely that UEFA are going to allow the Europa stuff to be postponed. They'll probably look for alternative solutions in the event. There is an issue we've already heard that Rangers, uh, who are due to play Napoli, I think they were supposed to play them on Tuesday. Um, now they've moved that to Wednesday because of potential policing issues in and around Glasgow. So, um, we have to be a bit creative here because we can't afford for the fixtures to pile up further. Anyway, guys, I'm going to jump off. Uh, please do leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Let's just have a quick check in. We've got 76 likes on the board, only 300 uh, of, uh, sorry, 76 likes on the board. But there's over, not only, over 300 of you watching. So that's not good enough. Let's get it up to 150 at least. If you're listening on the audio, please do leave us a review. And I'll be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal and football related content as we move 
into another week. All the best. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'll catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.